Well, this is lesson number one on our leadership studies. And uh, this is called 20 Leadership Keys. And we've taken this from my pastor, Dr. Mark Barclay. And so we want to give credit where credit is due. Dr. Barclay, of course, was a Marine drill instructor. He was a Marine sniper in Vietnam. And of course, now he's ministered for nearly 40 years. So he knows a thing or two about leadership. The future uh, lessons in this will, will be very Bible heavy. So just bear with us. I know this doesn't necessarily have a lot of scripture, but we want to just talk about leadership principles and uh, leadership application. This will probably take two classes or two lessons because 20 points is just a lot to cover in 45 minutes, especially if we stop and expound upon them. One, one of the things I do want to encourage you in is that you may not feel called to lead the kingdom of God. You may not feel called to lead a corporation, but every one of us is called to leadership in some form or another. You have to get up in the morning and lead yourself to breakfast. You have to lead yourself to work. You have to lead yourself in a checkbook. You have to lead yourself to the grocery store. You have to lead something. Even, even the hermit leads something. Even the recluse will lead something. And so uh, don't discount this and say, well, this, he's just talking about preachers or he's just talking about husbands or he's just talking about business owners. Even if you're a single mom, you're a leader. Even if you're a housewife, which I think is one of the greatest jobs on the planet, one of the most necessary, you lead. You lead kids, you lead and guide that home. So as we talk on this, don't hear this for somebody other than you. When we teach on this, see how this fits your life because it will greatly benefit you. Amen? So let's look at point number one, Le what leadership is and is not. These are leadership principle points from my pastor, so that's what we're covering. Leadership is not teaching. In your life as a leader, leadership is not teaching. It uses teaching. Leadership certainly uses teaching, but leadership is not teaching. You can teach somebody something, but not lead them anywhere. But now if you're going to be a good leader, you have to be able to teach. You have to, if you're going to be successful in life, if you're going to be successful as a Christian, you also have to be to some degree self-taught. You, in our church around here, when we do something new and somebody will say, well, pastor, how do, what do I, where do I begin? I say, Google, because what I'm asking you to do or what God's asking you to do, somebody else has already gotten a PhD in it. Then they had enough time on their hands to write a website about it. So go Google it. That's what I would do. So even in leading yourself, you've got to be self-taught. But just because you teach yourself doesn't mean you've actually led yourself. Now that you've learned something, what are you going to do with it? So leadership is not teaching. Just because someone is a teacher does not mean they're leading anyone. And so we have to understand that. Now, hopefully we can see the difference there. We've got to make sure that we, we are always teaching. We're always helping folks. As a leader, when you want folks to follow you, as a leader in your own life, leading yourself, if you want to save money, you're going to have to maybe go teach yourself how to save money. And then when you begin to apply that, that's when you actually begin to lead something. And so we've got to really get out of this mindset that somebody else is going to do things for us. We've got to get out of this mindset that it's somebody else's job. We have to, every one of us as a Christian, realize God has called us to lead in some capacity or another. At the very least, you're called to lead others to Jesus Christ. Now, let me show you this in the example of evangelism. Let's say I witness to Ariel. I can walk up to her and share the gospel with her. And in that regard, I'm teaching her. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus died for you. He went to hell for you for three days and three nights. He was raised up from the dead on the third day for your justification. And if you believe that, you can be born again. Would you like to be born again? I think I would. Well, then let me lead you in prayer. You just taught. Now you're about to lead. You can only lead as far as you've taught, though. 
And so in that point, I can change gears and I can begin to lead her through a prayer and lead her to Calvary and through the new birth. It took some teaching at first, but if I'd stopped there, I didn't do any leading. So hopefully we can understand that. When you have people following you in life, whether it's children, whether it's employees, whether it's the members of your body, you have to teach them before you can lead them. And in essence, you say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is what it's going to look like. All right? All right. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is what it's going to look like. All right? All right. Now let's go. And you lead them. So even in your household, as a mama, as a dad, you've got to teach your household. This is how things run. This is how it works. And now we're going to go that direction. It's often perhaps unmannerly or unreasonable to try to lead people without teaching them what you're doing or why you're doing it. And there, there's always room for, you know, just trust me because you don't have time. But things are led so much more easily if there's an understanding there. Things work better if they can understand why we do what we do, why we go where we go, why we say what we say. And that's why teaching is so critical to leadership. Don't just The pat answer from mom and dad usually when they're on their last nerve and that one's really thin is just because I said so. How, why? Why? Even kids want to be taught. Why? Why? Because I said so. Now, that, that might be you being really irritated and really frustrated. And so if you have time as a parent or as a, a grandparent, as a leader, you explain it to them. Well, honey, because if we don't, this is what it looks like. Because if we don't, this is what it looks like. Because if we don't, this is what's going to happen. And so uh, leadership is not teaching. It uses teaching, but it is not teaching. And in that, to that end, something I wrote down when my pastor was teaching this, a weak staff or a weak household, or a weak ministry team, or a weak help in your life is like heartburn. They produce sleepless nights and they require quick relief. Anybody ever had heartburn? Can't hardly sleep and you gotta give it quick relief. Well, how do you get a better team around you? By teaching. You have to take people by the hand usually. That's not an insult. Sometimes that's just what's required. If you're raising up people around you to follow you, if you're raising up your children to help with the dishes, you've got to take them by the hand. Otherwise, weak help is like heartburn. You, you get to where you can't even trust them. You get to where they really are just a dead weight because they're not doing anything, yet you've got to care for them, whether it's your employees, whether it's a classroom, whether it's on a ministry team, whether it's children in the home, whether it's your wife, or sometimes wives have to train husbands a little bit how to help keep the home. Honey, I can do the dishes if you would set them here. Honey, I could get our laundry done if you'd make sure all the dirty clothes make it here. So that's why we have to use teaching so that the people around us who are following our lead, they know what to do and they're not weak. If there's weakness in, in your followership, you've got to teach them to strengthen them. Uh, a weak, weak help is like heartburn. It produces sleepless nights and requires quick relief. All right, enough on that. Point number two, leadership is not training. It uses training, but it is not training. So that begs the question, what's the difference between teaching and training? Teaching is simply the dissemination of information. You just, what I'm doing this morning is just teaching. I am not training you. I am just teaching you. Training requires hand-on experience. You know, think about um, uh, CPR. I can just talk to you about chest compressions and mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation and tilting the head and pinching the nose and opening the jaw and clearing the air passage, and I can teach you but that's not training. Training is we get down on all fours over recessa Annie, the, you know, the practice doll, and we do this over and over again. That's training. So there's a difference between teaching and training. As parents, 
as employers, as schoolroom teachers, we have to do more than just teach. You can't just tell your children what you want them to do. You have to show them how to do it and walk it through with them. We often expect way too much out of the people that follow us because we assume we know it. Therefore, just follow my lead. Well, sometimes following my lead means you stop leading in that direction and you go back and you go amongst the folks that follow you and you lead amongst them and you say, oh, no, do it like this. All right, try it like that. Okay, do it like this. I think we all meet folks who are severely or only book learned. Book learned people aren't very useful in the world because it's all up here and it's all theoretical. What we need, what everybody wants is the school of hard knocks, someone who's educated in practical experience, someone who's educated by use, someone who's experimented and tested and failed and tried and gotten better. That's what I'd rather have than just a book smart person. First Corinthians says, knowledge puffeth up. So we're not just interested in teaching, we also have to train. You can, in your own life, if you want to lead yourself into better financial situations, lead yourself into better health, you can study that stuff online or in books all day long, but until you get out and practice it, it doesn't do you too much good. That would be the training. You know, the, 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 the dietitian says count calories and, and have this much carbs and this much protein. You can know that and be a thousand pounds overweight. That would just be teaching. Or you can know that and begin to train and be fit. You can know that I should live beneath my means and be broke. Or you can know that you should live beneath your means and train and actually do. So I think we see the difference. Leadership is not training, but we certainly have to use it. You got to train your own body. You got to train your household. Uh, America's good at training dogs. We're not so good at training kids. We think that's rude, but we have more of a heart and a passion for dogs than we do children. You have to train if you want people to follow you. You have to train them how to follow you. Even as Paul said, I beat my body, I put it under. He trained his body how to do what he needed it to do. You can do the same thing. I've got some points here. Leaders lead, managers manage. Leadership is never comfortable while managers are usually comfortable or are comfortable. Leaders are never comfortable because they're always busy leading. Now, what that means is leaders are always thinking 15 miles down the road. Leaders don't manage. Managers manage. What we mean by that is, because now we're getting into semantics, managers just maintain what's already established. And so they're just given something, make sure this maintains. All right, I think we understand that. The leader is always looking, all right, I got four groups of people being managed behind me, what do we do next? You got, you, you, they're coming up with the vision, where are we going? Because honestly, when you lead, you're not staying in the same place. Managers just keep things status quo, keep things from dilapidating, keep things from falling apart. But the leader is the visionary and he's always or she's always saying, all right, I got four teams behind me. They're managed by my four managers. Where are we going next with them? And so for that reason, the manager is comfortable because he just has to maintain what he knows. The leader is searching out the unknown. And so we, in our personal lives, are both managing our lives, but we're also taking it someplace further. And that's why you should never be comfortable because God's not done with you. There's always something more to do. There's always another victory. There's always another battle. There's always another mountain to take. After you take that mountain, you rest and you manage what you have. You gather the troops, you gather your, 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 your supplies and your tools and you replenish and you rest. And then you start thinking, all right, what's the next mountain in my life? 
But if you're comfortable in your life, you're not leading. And that may be why so few folks choose to rise up and lead because it is very uncomfortable. It's always about the unknown. It's always having to go out there and search out, sit at somebody else's feet so you can be trained to figure out this next thing. It's always about uh, exploring, researching, developing, digging deep. With a leader, good enough is never good enough because there's always better. And again, this may be why there are so few real leaders, even in the kingdom. Now, there are some really good ones, and you just need to know God wants you to be one of them. But you have to rise up and realize God does want you to lead. He wants you to accomplish something. He wants to have people behind you to help fulfill a vision. It does take a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of late nights. It takes a lot of not entertainment. Amen. Now, in, in our society, we know we are drunk on entertainment. We are drunk on entertainment. Last night, I was watching an old science fiction movie, Rated G, and uh, this, is how, this is how our generation is. 2001 A Space Odyssey, 1968 sci-fi classic. I'm watching it, very little dialogue. So won all the Academy Awards for design. So while I'm watching it, I decide to research the making of it on YouTube. So on my phone, I'm watching the making of it while I'm watching the movie. Because I want to know about the special effects and the editing and all that. That's how drunk we are on entertainment, that I can do both simultaneously in high def, in my lap, laying on my couch through Wi-Fi. And also... Over here, be thinking about Sunday school in the morning. If, if there's nothing wrong with that as a season or you know just a flavor of your life, but we know that if we're not careful, that's all we do is is follow somebody else's lead. I'm and in that case last night. I'm following Stanley Kubrick's lead from 50 years ago. That movie was produced 50 years ago. So I, if that's all I ever do, though, that's my life. I'm always following entertainment. And my life is defined by nothing but two hours of this and two hours of that. What could you do with two hours? What could you accomplish for the kingdom? And there's nothing wrong with getting, sitting down and having some entertainment and having just some downtime. But you have downtime because you have all this uptime. But in this generation, in these last days, folks almost continuously live in downtime. And so in their downtime, they need more downtime. Now, downtime infers that you've had a lot of uptime. Amen. All right. Next bullet point under number two, don't expect high performance without communication. So teaching and training is communication. And you've got to be able to communicate. Without communication, you can't lead. Without communication, you're not going to lead. Without communication, you're just going to stay stagnant. We understand when we get our feelings hurt, we, we, start, we stop talking. And even in friendships, we'll say things like, what's wrong? Nothing. Really, that has become nothing but a ploy to lure people in to worship us. What's wrong? Nothing. So they step in even deeper because we want to pull them in on our emotions and our little pity party. Uh, the, the nothing is the invitation to the pity party because they want, they're lustful for, for uh, entertainment. They're lustful for attention. They're lustful for these things. So do away with that kind of communication. When folks are, for me personally, as a leader, when I see folks having a pity party, I usually say, smile. I don't have time for your party, but you can smile. Amen. Train your team. Whoever's around you, you've got to train them. Train your kids. Kids are very programmable. Train your spouse, husbands. In this post-feminist era, it's all about training the man. Eve trained the man. 
and cursed a whole species of mankind. Now, there's nothing wrong with leading and guiding your home, ladies, but, and saying, honey, if, you're gonna, if I'm going to run this home, I need you to follow my rules that you've given me the authority to make. And husbands, you should honor your wife and say, oh, wait, how do you want me to do to help you with the dishes? How do you want me to help you with the finances? But in the very beginning, Eve set the training schedule, told Adam what he was going to do, and cursed everything. And Adam was compliant. So we blame him too. He's a knucklehead. But train your team. For me personally, uh, I'm the head of my home. That's biblical. Every man should be the head of their home. Every man should have a vision for their home and know where they're going. But I delegate a lot of authority to my wife because she has graces and powers and strengths I don't. Proverbs 31 is the most empowering passage of the entire Bible for a woman. Proverbs 31 31 has nothing on feminism. Feminism is anti-woman because it wants women to look and act like men. Proverbs 31 is all pro-woman. And she's powerful and she's gracious and she's beautiful. She manages an estate. She buys, she has business dealings with Persians, business dealing with those in the sea and ships. And she has her own manufacturing company. She's buying property. She's a real estate agent. She's dealing in politics. And yet she has the law of kindness in her mouth. Not the, what do you want? Burn our bras. No, honey, please, please don't. No, 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 no. <laughs> now, if you want to be an empowered woman, pray Proverbs 31 over your life every day. You'll be empowered with God's power, not demon power. Teach honor in order to grow and develop honorable people. So you teach your children how to honor you. You have to teach your children that they don't talk to you that way. You have to teach your children not to be bossy. You have to teach your children how to be respectful. You have to teach your children, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. You have to teach your children who's boss. The other day, we were, me and my family, we were all laying in bed. Of course, Abigail's only three and a half months. And I heard Lydia whispering to Abigail, mommy the boss, daddy the boss, I'm not the boss. <laughs> you are a sharp kid. You keep that in mind, you'll go far in life. So even in your, on your job, teach them to be honorable. You have a right when people follow you to teach them protocol. I like protocol. Just tell me how this thing works and I can work it. I definitely don't want to go in and break anything. Number three, every ministry, or we'd say every home, every business, every team, you know, in, in life, especially in school, you might head up this kind of team or this kind of research team, or who knows in the, in the professorial realm or in the college realm, you might be put on a research team. Every team you're a part of, if you're the leader, it must be run with the precision, the precision of a corporation. We don't know too much about corporations here in Middle Tennessee. That's why we teach on this stuff. We have corporations that come here, but we have very few homegrown corporations. And so things are just kind of bubblegum together, duct taped together. And just about the time this thing gets fixed, this thing falls off and we go and hot glue it back together. We need to have the precision of a corporation in everything we do. There's so much governments and administrations involved in corporations that make them so profitable, that make them so influential and productive. You have to have that mindset as a leader. Those guys know how to lead. It's another example of where Jesus said the children of darkness are in their generation more wise than the children of light. Everybody in a corporation knows their place. They know the pecking order. They know their job. They have an assignment. It's like the ants. Proverbs says, go to the ant now, you lazy sluggard, who have no chief over them. And yet they all do their job and come together and they suffer no lack. 
They just work together. They know their place. And so in, if you're going to lead something, you have to delegate and assign. In your home, you delegate. In your business, you delegate. You can't do it all yourself. It'll kill you. Plus, if you do it all yourself, why do you have them? You don't need them. But the more you delegate, the more you can grow and flourish. So anything you lead needs to, to some degree, run with the precision of a corporation. Precision. Precision is not two rocks sparking together. Precision is like a Swiss timepiece. Precision is like the guts of an iPhone. That's precision. You, you know, cavemen inventing the wheel and clogs made out of timbers, that's not precision. That's how a lot of stuff gets done in America, though. That's why we export everything to India. All right. Number four. Good leadership is in the heart and must be caught. Good leadership is in the heart. So... If you're a good leader or if you're wanting to be a good leader, you have to develop this thing in your heart. Leadership is of the heart. I am learning more and more that leadership is not a born ability in everyone. But just because you're not a naturally born leader doesn't mean you can't be developed into one. There's a lot of naturally born leaders who aren't leading anybody because they don't have the self-discipline to do it. Then there's plenty of folks who are not naturally born leaders, but they develop a discipline and a heart and folks follow after them because they're going somewhere to happen. You don't follow people that go nowhere because that's not following. That's called a powwow. You follow people that are going somewhere to happen. So in your heart, you've got to develop this vision, this flavor that I'm going somewhere to happen. I am not growing roots out of my rear end to stay here the rest of my life. When you do that, you will go somewhere and God will bring in people behind you to fill in the vacuum because you're moving forward so fast. They will be given to you to help you. But leadership is of the heart. You've got to develop it in your heart. If all you do is memorize rules, you'll wreck when the rules are tweaked. So you catch the heart of leadership. We have rules that are like bumpers that keep us safe, but there are times when the rules have to be tweaked. There are times where rules are conditional and they don't apply all the time. We would call this being legalistic about rules. You know, the rule says speed limit's 55. Well, if I was just in a car accident, I want somebody to pick me up and not drive 55 miles an hour. I want them to pick me up and drive 155 miles an hour to get me to the hospital. And the police would say, Go right ahead, we'll give you an escort and the rules will be tweaked for you. But if everybody's bleeding out, oh no, gotta drive 55, gotta drive 55, gotta drive 50. Now, nobody drives, well, no. Overton County people driving down my road drive 10 miles an hour slower than 55. But normal people don't drive 55, I don't suppose. There's, if all you do is memorize rules and you don't catch the heart of whoever's leading you, then you'll be upset and you'll get offended when rules are tweaked or sidestepped. So leadership is of the heart. Catch the heart of it. Catch the vision of what your boss is doing. Or if you're the leader, do your best to cast, as I say, cast the vision, present the vision, talk about the vision so people get the picture of what the vision is. Number five, have the kind of faith men and women can follow. Have the kind of faith your kids can follow, if, if that's your leadership domain. Have the kind of faith your team can follow. Have the kind of faith that your research team can follow. Have the kind of faith your business workers can follow. Have the kind of faith people can follow. You've got to be able to talk and share and say, this is what we're going to do, this is why we're going to do it. Have the kind of faith. Have can-do faith. Say, we're, we're able to do this, team. We're absolutely able to do this. They said of Steve Jobs 
in building the Apple Corporation empire, he had what he called the, the, reality, uh, the reality distortion field. He just didn't believe anything was impossible. And he believed it so fervently when he worked with people, they believed it wasn't impossible either. And years later, they said, that guy made us do the impossible because we got around him. You know, he was a pagan, a heathen, but he totally operated in faith. He believed he could change the world through computers. And he believed he could program things that nobody else could do. And he got the right people around him and he convinced them they could do the same. If they had been left alone, they'd have stayed in their garage their whole life. They got behind somebody who had a can-do faith. He said, we can do it. We will find the best technology. We will marry it together. And the world will want what we have. And that's exactly how it works today. The world wants what he made. But if you have this, well, that's just not possible. I just don't know. That's a very narrow-minded, possum-hollered view. You have to have the kind of faith people want to follow. Deep in the heart of every man, nobody wants to stay the same. Nobody wants to be mediocre. That's why we want to root for the winning team. That's why we want to go see the coolest movie. That's why we want the latest technology. We don't want to be left behind. Nobody's still using the brick phone from 1985 Motorola. No, we'll go into debt to have the next iPhone because we don't want to be left behind. So pioneer that kind of faith in your own life. Realize you don't have to be dependent on people to not be left behind. Because you can even be behind the greatest leader ever. But if you're not willing to get up and do, you will be left behind. So as a leader, have the can-do faith. Tell your children, you can do this. I'm going to help you. We are going to do this. Don't sit there and give people or flesh an opportunity to do what naturally wants to happen, which is sin. All right. Here's a bullet point under number five. People will be bothered by what bothers you. People will be bothered by what bothers you. Children pick up their parents' moral code. Children just pick that thing up. In our own church, you, you, what, what bothers me bothers you. What distracts me, you've learned it'll distract you. Uh, you. You become what you behold. You learn, you catch your boss's heart. You understand what's going to pass in a report, what's not going to pass in a report. You understand what your professor tolerates, what he doesn't tolerate. You understand what the line chief likes, what the line chief doesn't like. And so when you're leading, you got to realize what bothers you will automatically bother the people that are under you. You have to make sure that it's worth being bothered over. Otherwise, you know, you'll just have easily distracted people. Lead by example, not dictation. So lead by example. Again, it's not, a, it's not about theory, but it's by the example you live. We talk about lip service. Don't just talk about lip service. Lip service is dictation. A lot of people pay God lip service. Oh God, I love you. Oh God, I, I want to serve you. Talk is cheap. Lip service is cheap, but life service costs you everything. Lip service is what you say. Life service is how you live. So as a leader, it's not just what you say, but it's what you do. Set the example for those under you. Show, you, show your kids, this is how we clean the house. This is why we do it. Your kids will want to do whatever you do. If they see you throw something to the floor, they're going to throw it to the floor. If they see you sit a certain way, they're going to sit a certain way. If they see you drink a certain way, they're going to drink a certain way. If they see you throw dirty clothes in the sink, they're going to throw dirty clothes in the sink. That's what kids do. That's what followers do. So you lead by example, not just dictation. We've all heard the expression, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, nobody likes that either. So when you follow, excuse me, when you lead, you make sure you lead by example. As a parent, if you want to know why your kids are the way you are, or the way you are. As a parent, if you want to know why the kids are the way they are, look at the way you are. 
Kids are a reflection, a teetotal reflection of us. So is a church. Church is a total reflection of the pastor. A business is a total reflection of the boss. I worked for a corporation for five or six years, an international firm. And uh, in, in working with that international firm, I visited multiple offices and every office had a different spirit. Same corporation, same name, Wilbur Smith Associates, which has since sold out to another firm. But every office had a different culture. It had a different personality, had a different spirit based on the office manager. And that office manager set the tone. And one office, you could cut up a lot and fellowship and talk a lot. Another office, it was cold and sterile like a communistic regime. You stayed in your cubicle or your office and nobody said hi to each other. I'd come in from Tennessee, how yin's doing? They just look at you and then go back to work. And so that's a challenge to me. So, you know, <laughs> trying to make somebody laugh. Other, all, other offices, it was party office all the time. You know, it was, or they'd always go take a smoke break every five minutes, you know. They never got anything done because that's what the office manager permitted. So this is an example of leading by example. In our office, every, you could tell every Friday, we could tell we were in the Knoxville office because it was party time on our office on Friday because of the UT football game. And then Monday would be a day of mourning because UT always got beat like a drum. <laughs> and then there was always the next thing coming out, when will Philip Fulmer get fired? That was the Tuesday discussion. <laughs> and eventually he did. Number six, I'm gonna try to get to number 10. And then we'll close there for this morning Sunday school. Fervency and vision are contagious and will spread if the leader is dedicated to the cause. Fervency and vision, fervency and vision is contagious. But we might also add so's laziness, so's pouting, so's anger. Attitude is contagious. Attitude spreads like the flu. It spreads like H1N1, bird flu, swine flu, pig flu, chicken flu, cat flu, dog flu, it spreads. And so all you have to do is look at your children, look at your employees, and you can see exactly what you have working in your life. If your kids are spastic bouncing off the wall, they're getting that from you. If your employees are underhanded and shady, probably either one of two things happened. You hired shady, underhanded people, or they're learning something from you. If people are joyful and excited and zealous, either you hired excited, zealous workers, or they're catching it from you. But in the positive here, point number six says fervency and vision are contagious and will spread if the leader is dedicated to the cause. So make sure you are dedicated to whatever God's given you. Otherwise, don't expect the people that follow you to be dedicated. We see this in football teams. You've got to build morale. That's why they have cheerleaders. Because cheerleaders try to help build the, the crowd up when the team is losing. Because the crowd will follow the team's morale. So you have all sorts of things. They've made a, a psychological science out of it, how to rally the crowd, how to have the crowd behind them, how to have the, the stadium behind them. Some teams talk about hating playing in other stadiums because the other stadium will so boo them and so, so yell at them and hiss at them that they can't stand it. It sucks the life out of team morale and team spirit. This is all spiritual law that sports teams have learned how to do, corporations have learned how to do it. You have to be able to build the morale and build the vision and the fervency of the people who follow you. But you only have to build it if you yourself have lost it. 
But if you yourself can maintain it, it's a lot easier to keep you maintained than 500 people maintained. If you yourself maintain it, it just trickles down the line. And so make sure you yourself are fervent and dedicated to whatever God's called you to do. And those that follow you will be fervent and dedicated as well. Amen. Are you learning anything? You're awfully quiet. Hopefully we're not boring you. There's a reason why there are not many major Christian Fortune 500 companies. I can't think of anyone in particular. There's a reason why the heathen master this in the church where the church just wants to come to church Sunday morning and not change the world. We just want to come get saved and then live under the shadows of everything else. But the church has got to rise up and be this great leading force God intended for it to be. Amen. Now, we have a couple great wealthy companies like Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A, but uh, you tell me another one. You tell me another one. And both of them are being attacked because they stand for biblical marriage. Amen. So we got to rise up. Every one of you is called to be a great leader. Not all called to be the same kind of leader, but you're all called to be great leaders. If you only have one child, you're called to be a great parent in that child's life. Amen. My wife and I, maybe we're just ignorant enough to pray, Lord, make us the greatest parents ever. I know we are not going to be, but I still pray it. You make us the best parents. May we be the best parents these girls could have ever had, period. Might as well try for it. Amen. Number seven, you are a carrier of the vision, so you must rub shoulders with those you want to have catch it. Uh, in your home, you are the carrier of the household vision. So you actually have to spend time with your kids, dad, in order for them to catch it. If you're the boss, you have to actually get down on the floor with your employees and rub shoulders with them. If you're the professor and you want to impart things to your students, if you really care about them and not just a paycheck, teachers as well, get around, get around the kids, get around the students, get around the, the ball team, rub shoulders with them so they can catch the vision. Let them see how passionate you really are about it. You're a carrier of it, so rub shoulders with those who must have it and then teach them how to rub shoulders with people else otherwise. Number eight, it is a myth that people are born leaders. Total myth. Now, there, I believe there is a natural ability in some. You can see it on the playground in the third grade. You can see it on the playground in the first grade. But that doesn't mean they're going to grow up to lead anybody. It just means as a kid, they have a stronger personality. But just because you don't have that natural thing about you doesn't mean you can't develop it. If God's called every one of us to lead, well, the reason we teach it is so that you can catch it and you can lead something. You can lead somebody to Jesus Christ. Did you know, and we've taught this before, God is not really concerned about your personality type because it doesn't exempt you from obeying the scriptures. Because some might say, well, I'm shy. Matthew 28 still says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm shy. I, I, I could never lead anybody. The Bible says, preach the word. Make a disciple. God, to that degree, doesn't care about the personality type you want to be. He wants to make you an evangelist. He wants to make you a discipler. He wants to make you something mom and dad couldn't make you. He wants to make you something the professor couldn't make you. He wants to make you something the Cub Scout leader couldn't make you. There's certain things God's called you to do, only he can make you. And so we don't get to use who we are as an excuse to disobey God. We have to look into the scripture and say, all right, Lord, you said so. So uh, help me. I've often thought about Gideon. What kind of uh, sissified, timid personality type would he have been classified as by Freud or Jung? 
scaredy cat, just a little farm boy living in a hole in the ground. And yet God was able to make him a General Patton or a MacArthur to go and whip the Japanese or the Germans. Start off a little farm boy living in a hole in the ground, just scrounging up wheat to have some cakes to eat. Before it was all said and done, he was the leader of Israel. He tried to use his personality as an excuse, but God didn't listen. You know, God doesn't listen to ignorance. (laughs) Amen. Amen. So we should quit trying to convince him. Uh, Look at our bullet point under number eight. The kingdom is built on want to. The kingdom of God is built on want to. Christians often lack a want to. And maybe we lack a want to because we know somebody else wants to. Therefore, we won't because someone else will do it. But what if everybody in the kingdom took that mindset? Well, somebody else will do it. Well, somebody else will do it. Well, somebody else will do it. Well, the Bible teaches just the opposite of that. The Bible teaches that we are to rise up and say, here am I, Lord, send me. Everybody in the Bible who God called, they didn't have a clue what they were marching into. But they knew God and they loved God. And they said, here am I, Lord, send me. Isaiah said, here am I. Jeremiah said, here am I. Here am I, send me. Samuel said, here am I, send me. We have to have that want to. Our life is a result of our want to. Or the limit, the upper limit of our want to. There's a certain place you get to where it's just not worth it to you anymore. And you have to know what that limit is. Some people, it's 8 a.m. in the morning. Once you give up the want to, your life stops moving. Now, we're not talking about the vocal lip service. Well, I want a better life. I'm talking about the heart determination to want better. When you want better, when you want to, it gets done. When the want to is big enough, you never stop. When the want to is big enough, you'll find somebody to train you. You'll submit. When you hit bottom hard enough and it hurts and you want to get up, you'll find somebody to help you get up. But until then, you free fall or you stay laying down. Even the woman on the commercial says, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. She wanted to get up. I'm convinced some Christians just don't want to. Because if you want to, you will get up. If you want to, you will be better in whatever it is God's given you to. But you can't blame anybody but yourself. You can't blame your color, your education, your last name. You can't blame your money level. You can't blame any of it. All you can blame is your want to. You can't blame your past or how you were hurt or who did you wrong. You can't blame any of that because that would say your color's bigger than God, your money's level's bigger than God, your education's bigger than God. That would say your past is bigger than the cross of Calvary or how somebody violated you is bigger than the cross. So the kingdom, Dr. Barclay says here, is built on want to. And the more we have a want to based on Christ and based on his will, the more we will do for him. Amen. Amen. You know, when you want to get some ice cream at 3 a.m., ain't nothing going to stop you. Ain't nothing going to break your style. Ain't nothing going to hold you down. Oh, no, I got to get some rocky road. Yeah, you'll get it. Amen. Bullet point two under eight. If you can't sacrifice the God of sleep, you can't be a leader in this kingdom. (laughs) Cephas taught on, oh, how do you overcome laziness when you're lazy? (laughs) What a dangerous catch 22. How do you overcome laziness when you're lazy? Because to overcome anything takes work. Well, if you're lazy, 
You don't work, so how are you going to work to overcome laziness? You're, oh God. <laughs> but as the Lord Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. <laughs> Amen. If you can't sacrifice the God of sleep, you will never be a leader, not just in the kingdom, period. Not just a leader in the kingdom, but just a leader, period. Scientists have now said they're closing in on the, the optimum number of hours to sleep. They're believing it's somewhere around seven. Dr. Barclay says if you sleep eight hours a day, you sleep a third of your life away. Imagine, you, you, now some of you sleep more than eight. You're convinced you need it. You need more sleep because you sleep more. Laziness clothes a man in rags. You ever notice the more you sleep, the more you want to sleep? But if you can overcome that, uh, that do loop of laziness, then what you can do is run on less and less sleep because your body's stronger. When your body's strong, you don't need as much sleep. Now you might have to play catch up on a nap, but there's nothing that says you need 10 hours of sleep. I told you, I had a roommate in college who would sleep till three o'clock every day. Why? I don't even think he remembers college. I don't even know how you get a degree sleeping till three o'clock every day. <laughs> That's a medical condition. Number nine, got to wrap it up here. Leadership can't, excuse me, leadership can be imparted through teaching, instruction, practice, prayer, and spending time with people. If you want to become a great leader, run with leaders. They will rub off on you. Pastor Titus Marefu from Zimbabwe says, if you want to become great, you must rub shoulders with greatness. Pastor Akwoko told our friend Kenny several years ago, he said, Kenny, he said, why are you so afraid, son? He said, if you were to spend one week with me, you would never be afraid of anything the rest of your life. That's just by association. We, we are who we are because of who we run with. I have no doubt as a parent and leader, I could take some of your kids and make them different in a week just by being around what we do. Some of you, if you were to run with me for a week, would be totally different forever. When I get around greater people than me, and there's a lot much greater people than me, it changes me. I come back and I just, I see how things can be done. I see how things should be done. And I come back and say, I will do it. But when you isolate yourself, you become your own little God and your own little micro world and your own little standard. And that's why so many people isolate themselves because they can't stand to see what they're not living up to. But as long as it's just you, you always come in first. And it can produce a daydream fantasy world. All right, number 10, and we'll stop here. Leadership is sharpened by adversity and the challenge of failure. I might add, you'll never lead if you're always afraid of failing. You know what leaders are good at? Failing. Trial and error. Success is only built by multiple failures. They, they, I don't know, there's the famous statistic or quote about Thomas Edison failed a thousand light bulbs before he made one that, fit, that worked. And I think the one that he built is still running to this day, hundred something years later. I think it actually just went out. You know, it was, you know, millions of hours burning. Look it up on Google. <laughs> but many folks will never be a leader because they're afraid of failing. To get to leadership, you got to fail a lot. So we'd rather when we fall down, just stay down here and say, I meant to do that. <laughs> but you can't lead in a puddle of self-pity. And you can't go anywhere laying down saying you meant to do that. And just get back up and go on. 
And before long, you learn how to handle those kind of fallings and failings. You know, the, you know, when children learn to walk, they fall down a lot. But you and I, we've been walking a long time. If we start to fall, we know how to reach out, even pick ourselves up before. Uh, when I studied judo and jujitsu, we learned all sorts of ways to get knocked down and to roll out of it and come back up on our feet and actually turn out of things. So there's even a way if somebody pushes you, you can roll on the ground and turn back. And when you come back up, you're actually facing who just pushed you from behind. It comes through practice. So in that regard, you get to a place where no matter how many times you get knocked down, you stand back up in the offensive position. But it takes practice. Leadership is sharpened by adversity and the challenge of failure. And that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of failing and we're deathly terrified of adversity. But the Lord Jesus said in the Proverbs, I have, excuse me, in the prophets, I've chosen you in the fire of affliction. I think it's in Psalms. I have chosen you in the fire of affliction. If we never get in that fire of affliction, how can God ever choose us? That word choose there would also be the Greek word select. I selected you to lead because you walked through the fire of affliction. We are really good. Our flesh nature is really good at making us run away from heat and looking for the comfortable way to serve God. And if all of our life we're, we're avoiding the, the fires of affliction that are everywhere, we'll end up spending our whole life making it easy on ourselves, and you'll never run your race because you only have a certain time allotted. The certain time you're given takes you through fire. And so you just have to say, here we go. And finish your course. Amen? We're out of time. That's leadership. Principles, part one. We'll finish part two next week. We're going to be teaching on leadership for the next several weeks, so make sure you come out because God wants every one of you to be a leader. Maybe not a preacher, maybe not a missionary, maybe not a Fortune 500 CEO, but even if you're a single parent, you lead kids. Even if you're single the rest of your life, you still lead people to Jesus Christ, and you can lead a Sunday school, and you've got to lead yourself into the things of God. Father, bless our time here. May we hold to these truths and apply them to our life. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.